You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Dom Grimal of The Last Felony, Ion Dissonance, and Cryptopsy. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Episode 9 of That One Time on Tour is brought to you by Living Album Art. Are you looking for a unique way to promote your past, present, or upcoming album? How about a show or tour flyer? Check out Living Album Art, the original album art animator where they bring your content to life. Going into this new digital age of music, album art and promotional content is mostly viewed on our cell phones through streaming services and social media posts. So help your music and content stand out by giving it the LAA treatment. Living Album Art has been used by bands such as Silverstein, Hopes Fall, Bleed the Dream, Assuming We Survive, and many, many more. For more information or to see examples of their work, be sure to follow Living Album Art on Instagram at living underscore album underscore art or on Facebook slash living album art. This is Tucker from Thursday, and you're listening to That One Time on Tour. Run for the road, cause it's going on and on. We'll be driving through the darkest night until the break of dawn. We'll be heading for the cities, another show for us to play. To get back in the bed tomorrow, we'll do it, we'll do it all. Hello and welcome to episode number nine of that one time on tour. As always, I'm your host, Chris Swinney. I'd like to thank all of you for coming back week in and week out, checking out these episodes. It's a lot of fun to do. Uh, You know, when you're not in a band, you kind of have that creative itch and this podcast is my scratch for that creative itch. It's a lot of fun to talk to people that I know and was on the road with and then also to talk to people that I don't know but I'm a fan of and I've just I've had a really good time doing this and I can't believe we're almost in the double digits. That's going to be the next episode. This episode is episode number 9. Now before I tell you about this episode, I do want to say if you'd like to become a sponsor of an episode, please hit me up at tototpodcast at gmail.com. I'll give you all the information. I work with every budget imaginable. Just trying to keep the lights on. This podcast does cost a little bit of money to keep going. So hit me up if you want to become a sponsor. Uh, Make sure that you're following us on all of the social media platforms at tototpodcast. And if you're listening to this on iTunes, please subscribe to the podcast as well as rate and review us, preferably five stars, but whatever you want to give us is totally cool with me. So this week on the podcast, I get to sit down with Tucker Rule of the band Thursday. I love Thursday. Uh, I've listened to them pretty much since their first record came out. And then I went back and bought their really their first record on, on eyeball records, which was called waiting, but uh, they're a great band. I've known Tucker for a while. And we had a really good time talking. We talk about all kinds of stuff from the first time I met them at a show in Fort Wayne, Indiana, all the way up to what he's doing now. So, uh, you know, if you're not a fan of Thursday, if you don't even know who Thursday is, this is still a good podcast to check out. Uh, we talk about 
everything that goes into being in a touring band. So uh, sit back, relax. I don't know if you're on your commute to work or if you're just hanging out late at night and you, you want to listen to what I'm saying. I don't know what you're doing, but whatever brought you here, I'm glad you're here. So sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Tucker Rule of Thursday. Hey, Tucker, what's going on, man? Hey, what's going on, brother? How you doing? I'm doing really well, man. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me, dude. So, uh, I mean, I we don't know each other very well. We've met a few times. I did want to kind of start the podcast out by telling you the first time that I saw your band. Okay. And uh, I, I want to get your take on this. Uh, I'm from Indiana. I grew up around Indianapolis, Indiana, and... Um, we were friends with the guys in Rise Against when they first like signed to, to, to Fat Records back in the day. And uh, they were playing a big show, but not really a big show. It was supposed to be a big show in Fort Wayne, Indiana at this big convention center. And it was like them and you guys and Good Riddance and like a bunch of bands flew in to play. And I totally remember. <laughs> well, and I went there to see my friends in Rise Against and you guys played before they did, I believe. And you guys just blew me away. And there was maybe... In a room that held a thousand people, there was maybe thirty people. Oh man, <laughs> yeah, we, there was a lot of those in the beginning. So do you, that was the day that I actually I bought uh, I bought Full Collapse from you. <laughs> oh shit! Okay, cool. Yeah, I wasn't in the Ataris or anything at that point. I was playing in, in my first band, like I. But uh, yeah, you guys just blew me away at that show, and I don't even think Good Riddance played. I think they like came and saw the place and left. <laughs> oh man, well, well I, hey, I appreciate. it. But yeah, dude, that, it, there was a lot of shows like that back in the day, like, you know, 15, 20 people. You're just basically playing for, like, the bar staff. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, so. I, I went and saw you guys then every time after that. Like, you guys would come play the Emerson. I think I saw you in Bloomington with Coheed one time. Like, just whenever you guys were around, me and my crew of guys would go check you guys out. So you guys were awesome. And I I mean, you were one of my favorite bands back in the day. You still are, but <laughs> it was a lot. Oh, of, I appreciate it, man. It was a lot that of fun. Rules. And, like, the thing was, I was always more a little bit kind of the metal punk rock side, but you guys kind of let me into that other side, and, you know, then I got into Converge, and I got into a lot of other bands from you guys, so I, I appreciate that. Oh, that's awesome, dude. That, that totally rules. So, uh, okay, <laughs> now that I've got my little two cents out of the way, I would like to... Uh, <laughs> I'd like to find out, like, you know, I don't want to go, I guess, all the way back. What was, like, your first experience with music? Like, do you remember something that made you go, wow, man, I, I think this is something I'm interested in or I'm passionate about? What was your first memory with music? I mean, man, I had tons, whether, you know, was, like, you know, I kind of grew up just with my mom, um, and we, but we lived at our grandparents, my, my grandparents' house, her parents' house, and, uh, my aunt lived there as well, and I just remember seeing, like, a bunch of, like, Michael Jackson records and stuff like that, and just, like, you know, this was before I knew how to work the record player or anything like that. I was just a kid, so, you know, I remember asking her to put put, put one of these things on. What are these things? And, you know, hearing music come out of it and just being super pumped, you know, and, uh, yeah, man, I just, and, dude, it, it, it's funny. I also just have really fond memories of when, you know, we would buy tapes at the yeah. store and like you would open it for the first time and you would like actually smell the artwork. Yeah. You know, it had like, you know, the, the, the ink had like a smell to it. It's just, you know, it was very, you know, all encompassing for me. Do you remember uh, when the CDs came in long boxes? 
Oh, yeah, dude. They were impossible to open. <laughs> they were impossible to open, but I used to cut, like, because that was, like, the, the cover art of the album was actually a cardboard box, if anybody is listening doesn't know this, around the CD, and I would actually cut those long boxes, the front of them off, and put them all over my walls. Yeah, that's that's the that's the way to do it, man. <laughs> it's, it's like you got a free poster with your CD. It was really cool. Totally. <laughs> Two for one. <laughs> Two for one. Okay, so you you were you know checking out Michael Jackson and stuff like that. When was uh when did you start playing drums? Oh man, I started real late in life. I started when I was eighteen. Uh, um, we used to go to a bunch of hardcore shows when when you know I was in high school and stuff. I had a group of friends. We were all skateboarders and whatnot, and got really into like you know I grew up in New Jersey, so the the New Jersey hardcore scene was was extremely important to all of us. You know, it was, it was kind of like shaped to, you know, who we were and who we are. Yeah. Um, you know, stuff, you know, bands like the bouncing souls and, and mouthpiece and, you know, just, just you name it. So you, were you were going to those, those shows earlier, like before you started playing drums? Yeah. And I just remember like sitting in the car, you know, driving, driving to the show or driving to, from the show or driving to school, whatever it was. And like just banging on the steering wheel you know, along to the drums. And I was never really interested in, in the guitar playing. You know, I obviously I was into the, the lyrics and, you know, and what the singer sounded like, but the drums just always, it was always something I found myself like, you know, air drumming to, I guess you could say, instead of, you know, air guitar playing, I was air drumming. And my, my friend got it, my buddy bought a drum kit when, uh, you know, I guess for senior high school, and I, I would just go over his house and play it. And suddenly, you know, instead of me being the singer, I, you know, I started playing the drums and he started being the singer. And that was when we, that's kind of how I started playing just by watching other people and, and going to shows and just like laser focus on the drummer. Did you ever take any kind of like formal lessons or was it all pretty much self-taught? I actually took my first lesson ever, uh, about oh, a little less than a month ago with, with the wonderful, uh, Dave Elich in, wow. uh, in LA. But uh, up before that, I was I was I'm completely self taught, you know, just just trying, you know, sitting yeah. there every day and, and and learning stuff, you know. That's the the thing about drums is you learn something new every single day. You sit down at them. Did you uh, like there shortly after you started banging on your friend's drum kit? Is that when Thursday started, or was there something like prior to Thursday? Uh, that we we had like a little like kind of straight edge hardcore band called Turnbuckle. It was me and uh, me and three of my best friends. Uh, but my buddy Mike Fullington, my buddy Brandon Wall, and then funny enough, Tom Keeley, who plays guitar on Thursday as well. So we went to high school together and stuff. He's my he's my best bud. Did you guys so, play like a lot of shows and stuff, or was that just kind of like a like a preemptive? We never thing? we never actually played a show. It was we just kind of did it for fun, and we we we. Once played my friend Tor's house, but that was that was it. Okay. Uh, we played like one song, and then and then we uh, we Tom went off to college. Uh, I stayed at community college, and um, Tom met Jeff, who was the singer of Thursday, and he was like, "Hey, man, I you know my buddy plays drums. We should you know we should start start this band. You know we have a couple songs, so the three of us kind of like met the rest of the dudes and started a band. Who, who named the band? I believe it was Jeff. We were kind of sitting up in my in my bedroom uh, talking about it was you know just after practice or whatever, and we were trying to go over band names like you know super long name because we had a lot of friends that had like you know 
like one of my favorite bands back then was the low end theory okay. and uh, i was like man we should get a we should get a band name like that you know something cool well longer and drawn out and kind of you already know what the band sounds like before you hear the music and uh see i think that's why I, that's why i liked thursday because when i heard that band name it didn't really like evoke any sort of genre or sound in my head like I, I think the only way that i knew maybe you guys were a heavier sort of band is because of the victory kind of stamp on the back of the, of the album before i saw you guys play like that's right why I, I love that name because it's just kind of it's almost kind of neutral it's, it's like you can kind of be anything you want to be that's totally why we decided on it because we didn't you know we we kind of wanted to surprise people and not have ha, you know not have any elite elite you know a scene or a genre that you know that uh, people could associate us with right away that's really cool so you guys uh once you guys all got together and everything uh that was in 1997 correct yes so what was uh like how fast did it go after that were you guys playing shows like automatically or did it take a while well we were lucky that that our our jeff had a had a, um, a house with a basement in new brunswick new jersey that he had shows in and that's kind of the reason why we started the band. We were like, oh, let's spend so we can play the basement. You know, he had bands like After Drive In, Hot Water Music, Saves the Day, you know, just a, and, and touring band. You know, any touring band that would come through would usually stop through and play his basement. Well, I know that you and, you and I and some of the guys on Thursday were around the same age. And I just remember growing up in the Midwest and kind of hearing these legendary stories of basement shows out on the East Coast and in New Jersey and wherever. And we would attempt to do that, but no one really cared. <laughs> so <laughs> it was such a different kind of a scene here. And then like my first band, when we would actually, we started doing some touring and we'd go out there, we played some basement shows. And I mean, it was a whole other world from where we were at. So to be able to live there and be a part of it, I bet that was pretty special. I mean, I think it's pretty special. It, it man, it was magical. You know, it was really, really kind of a crazy thing. And and like you said, man, it, it didn't happen everywhere. So it, we felt really well. Now I feel really fortunate. I don't. I don't think I felt fortunate then because it was just how I kind of grew up. Yeah, hindsight, hindsight's twenty twenty. I mean, like we were sitting here in the middle of a cornfield, like hearing these stories of these basement shows on the East Coast, and then you know, someone that's actually there in the moment. Yeah, I can see how you could take it for granted a little bit. Yeah, and it, w- it wasn't even like we took it for granted. We just didn't know any any differently. You know what I mean? We in the in the tri-state area, we just had so many good hardcore shows and stuff, and that's you know that's kind of just what we did. You know, being in high school and you know on a weekend, you know, bands were playing. You would just get there, no matter hell or high water. You would just get there, you know, just to see the show and whatever. So it was. Really fortunate, yeah, for sure. When I I read, uh, I was doing a little bit of research. Like I didn't need to do a lot of research because I've I've been a fan, and you know, like you probably don't remember me, but we've we've spoken a couple times, like a Warp tour and whatnot, when I was with the Ataris and different bands. But I remember, uh, dude, for sure. I, I was gonna see if you remembered something. I, I always thought this was pretty cool. Uh, the first time that I ever met you was at that show in Fort Wayne, that failed kind of huge punk show, and uh, you had run out of cigarettes. I don't know if you still smoke or not, but at that point you were smoking. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> and you bummed, you bummed like half a pack of cigarettes off me as we talked outside about bands. And then when I came to see you the next time was like a year later at the Emerson Theater in Indianapolis, and I brought you two packs of cigarettes just so you wouldn't bum off of me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that, but See, I didn't think you would. I wasn't even going to bring it up, but since you said you did sort of remember talking to me, I thought I'd, I always thought that was funny. Cause I was like, man, last time we hung out with Tucker, he smoked like all my cigarettes. <laughs> so yeah, 
that was just a funny little inside thing. I wasn't going to bring it up, but we, we got to it. So that's awesome. I, I totally don't remember, but I do remember talking to you, but I don't remember the cigarette. Thing. Okay. That's, that, that sounds, sounds about right. Okay. So, uh, the one thing that I found out, you know, I was doing a little bit of research, Wikipedia and whatnot is what, you know, what's available to you on the internet. But I did see that, you know, you guys' first show was on New Year's Eve of 1998 at Jeff's house. And you guys played with Midtown Saves the Day and Poison the Well. That's a crazy first show. Yeah, yeah, totally crazy show. Um, I, yeah, I, I remember that. Actually, that night I was uh, I with my, my high school girlfriend. You know, we were, you know, we started dating in high school. and We were now in college, of course. But uh, <laughs> her parents, like, had this catering company company and uh so i went to work with her at this catering company during the day for for new year's i was like i have to leave i have to go play this show i ended up getting there like maybe five minutes before we were supposed to go on just threw my drums up and we played the show it was kind of insane (laughs) what what were like the pas like in the basement shows like was it just kind of like a makeshift whatever you had you used or was it something a little bit better (sighs) to be honest i don't even remember i i'm pretty sure it was just whatever you could get the vocals through you know I mean, what I mean? Yeah, our first our first show, we used uh, my dad's old stereo from college, and we just had one mic plugged in, and my singer used it, and it sounded horrible. But the show was great. That's the thing. It was that, that I think feel like that's the thing a lot of people missed from you know from that time of music was like it was it wasn't about what it sounded like. It was yeah. about like the feeling and, and the you know just being there and being a part of it and like. You know, it t- till this day, like my hair stands up when I play. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. I, you just learn. It's just something I never forgot. Was just the feeling of being there, and whether it was playing a show or seeing a show. You know, it wasn't about like, oh, it's sounding perfect, <laughs> auto tune, and all this crap. It was just like the the idea of like art being created without boundaries. It was awesome. That's great, man. So. uh what led you guys then you released your debut full length waiting on eyeball records. How did you guys go from playing in Jeff's basement to that? Uh, our, our buddy, uh, well, it's funny cause Gabe from Midtown, uh, Cobra Starship was literally the first dude that ever came to one of our shows. So, um, he was like, you know, he was like, you guys are awesome. And, you know, introduced us to, to Alex. I believe that's how it went down. But Alex, um, Saavedra, who ran eyeball records was immediately interested. And, and, um, yeah, man, he was just like, I'll put out the the record. That'd be, that'd be awesome. So it was, you know, it kind of worked out. And then from there, from there, we, we started recording a new record, which turned out to be full collapse. And we had no idea what we were doing. We were just like writing songs. Were you recording that before Victory was even kind of sniffing around? Totally. We 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 were just like, well, let's let's you know let's write the, let's write another record. That was fun. Let's do it again. And you know, and yeah, Victory Victory wanted it, so we, you know, again hindsight, we reluctantly <laughs> signed to Victory, and uh, yeah, we 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 made like a cheap video for understanding the car crash because my our guitar player Steve. Uh, he went to film school and he's, he's just really good with the camera and he's got a lot of, you know, a lot of camera friends, you know, film friends. So we were in North Carolina and, uh, just made a quick video and shortly thereafter we, we went on tour with Saves the Day. We were opening for Saves the Day. Um, it was us, Hey Mercedes and Saves the Day, which was a rad tour. And the record got started getting picked up by MTV. 
or not the record, the the video. I remember seeing that, like, uh, and it kind of the thing that kind of struck me. It, and I mean, I kind of relate it back to. I mean, I don't know how big of a metal guy you are, but when Metallica put out the video for one, and it was like it didn't look like anything else on the channel. I, yeah. I I remember seeing, and I, maybe it was because you guys did it yourselves, and it was it didn't really have a budget, but. I mean, and it looked really, really good. I just remember when that came out, it just it it stood out so much because everything else was so slick and so produced that I, I really think, I mean, in my opinion, I think that helped. Yeah, totally, man. It was it was basically just a bunch of hardcore kids who who you know had friends. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? And and it, it's really funny, man. And because we never, we never tried to like make a music video, you know, to, to to put on MTV, you know, it was just like, well, let's just see what happens. And you know, I remember seeing. You know, Quicksand's uh, Phaser on 120 Minutes, the video for Phaser, and that's how I got into Quicksand. So, you know, I had, I obviously was like, hey man, that's that's how I got into my favorite band. So, yeah, you know, as it, as full as uh, understanding was getting played more and more, I had really everyone's like, oh, you know, sell out this and that, I was like, dude. <laughs> Whatever the sellout cries always come. You get any success whatsoever that happens, man. I, I know, I know. It's I, I like, think it's bullshit too. If they knew what you were going through to make your art and to make a living, they they wouldn't say that stuff. Well, dude, that was also back in the day when like cell phones didn't even weren't even a thing. Yeah, like, nobody had a cell phone. It's it's like how else are you going to get your music heard? Yeah, totally, man. There was no you know? there was no iTunes or or any, I mean, you had to do something to get it out there. Totally, man, and it's like you—the the way we used to do it is—and I'm sure you—you've you, done the same thing. It's like you call the the dude who's putting on the show the night before and be like, "Hey, are we still on for tomorrow?" Oh yeah, you have to check it out. Like we would be on—we <laughs> would be on the road, and I haven't—you know—I wouldn't have talked to the to the promoter before I left for tour, and so it's like, man, I really hope when we get to Atlanta, there's a show. <laughs> yeah, or I hope his mom picks up the phone when we. <laughs> Or I remember, I remember sending out flyers like even before, like you know, I was in different bands that weren't on labels or whatnot, or even when I was on in bands that were on labels. That was the biggest thing, like make sure there's flyers or there's posters sent to the venue or sent to the the place, because yeah, yeah. And no, I don't think anybody even flyers anymore. It's just all Facebook events, you know. Yeah, that's like the 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 new flyer is is you know invited to a Facebook event. <laughs> I used to I used to love it. We used to get sometimes uh sometimes back in the day when the touring was a little bit more sparse, we would get to the town a little bit early, like a day or two early, and we would go flyer ourselves to see if we could get more people at the show. Yeah, man, that's that's fun. That was like the the total DIY, you know, mentality. Yeah. Just you know, everything has to come through your hands before before you uh you know, you play the gig. It's like it's all part of it. And I'll tell you that's uh I mean I've uh I kind of hung up my touring boots a few years back and I have a couple kids now and I'm doing, I mean, I'm teaching guitar full time. That's my gig. So I'm in music and whatnot, but doing a, doing a podcast has kind of filled that void because I, I have total control. It's kind of a creative process and I don't care if it's ever successful. I just love it because I get to talk to cool people like you and I don't know, man. If if you ever get down and you want to pick me up, do a podcast. <laughs> oh, dude. Well, Hey man, this is, this has been great so far. I'm having a great, Time. I'm having a great time too. So we'll go back to uh, <laughs> the one thing that I really did want to kind of talk about, and you don't have to talk about anything you don't want to talk about. I've had a couple people on the show. Uh, Eddie Reyes from Taking Back Sunday. He was a little tight lipped about it because he said there was some some legal aspects. But when I know you guys signed a victory, and you know allegedly, you know over the internet and people talk, the contract wasn't that great. Can you speak a little bit about your experience on that label? 
I mean, it was it was it was funny. You know, it's kind of a you know a grimy operation. Everybody that worked there was really nice to us and good to us. You know, it's just it's just as the record started getting bigger, um, you know, things just started happening that that we just had no control of. You know what I mean? Like I remember one of the things that they they aid behind our backs were Thursday whoopee cushions. You know what I mean? And like as as stupid as that is, that was like like But we were just talking about how, you know, when you're doing the DIY independent thing, you have total control. And I've never been in a band where I think I would have consciously made an effort to get a whoopee cushion with the band's logo. I just think that's kind of stupid. It's so stupid. It's like things it's like shit like that 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 we just couldn't get down with. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then and then there was, I mean, I don't really remember it all too well, and I, I, it was just a shitty time, and I just know that they, they were not very good to us. Which is kind of, it's kind of ironic, or not ironic, I guess it just doesn't make a lot of sense when you have a band that is starting to, you know, gain some recognition and get a little bit more popular, and I'm sure you were making the label a lot of money, why they wouldn't kind of kiss your ass, I guess, is what I, I mean, I just don't understand it. <laughs> I, th- I think they were just they you know they were trying to use use us to grow as well and like they did the same thing with I, I remember Hatebreed was doing really well at the time too and they were having issues it was just one of those things where we, we didn't really know what to do with our career either at that point in time we were still just kids so we sure as hell didn't need any outside influence you know making things more complicated or or you know or cheesier than they had to be you yeah. know. So uh, the one thing that I was going to ask, too, about that is, and I mean, this is a lot of this is Internet research. So if any of it's wrong, please, you know, shoot it down. But um, as far as victory went, the the contract you guys signed, I guess there was a clause that talked about you couldn't kind of sidestep to another big indie. You had to go to a major. Exactly. Yeah, we were we were forced to either, you know, not have a label at all or be on a major label. There was no other option. And I'm sure probably, you know. <laughs> right out of the gate signing a victory at the size you guys were that probably you'd probably didn't even think a major was going to happen correct well we we yeah we had no idea we we thought that like okay we'll just you know we're just kind of a hardcore band like we're you know there's there's no room in this world for our type of music kind of thing you know what i mean like to the masses like that's not a thing um you know we we you know tried to genuinely play to as many people as we possibly could in the best way possible you know and and just a major label it just wasn't on the radar whatsoever so you guys ended up signing with island uh how did that come about and um, was it did you were you in breach of contract or anything with victory like how did that all go down um i just remember that you know through that clause being you know you can't go anywhere but a major basically we kind of were like well you know we're getting too big for this label you know so we need we need to move on you know we need it's either it's either we stay here and we don't reach our potential or you know we kind of see see what else is out there and you know i just remember like taking a bunch of meetings with a bunch of major labels and you know a lot of a lot of expensive dinners later you know (laughs) we landed with Island because there there was a bunch of good people there that, that, you know, such as Leo Cohen and, and Livia Tortella and, um, our, and our guy, Ben Lazar, you know, it was just, it seemed like a good home. 
at the time. So around that same time that you guys signed to Island, I know that the the band Thir- the not the band Thursday, that's you guys. That the band Thrice the band Thrice signed as well around that same time and I know you guys are kind of friends. Did that kind of make it seem a little bit better like there was power in numbers? Did that kind of help you with the situation? I guess probably a little bit. I mean, not only because I I, I think it was because there was a lot of bands going to majors at the time that were in our same genre. Like I know Thrice also went to Island, but there was also bands like the U's that were signed to majors. And so we kind of felt like, okay, this is, this is the shift of music. This is what's happening, you know? So I guess, I guess this is what the next step is. You know, we're either going to be stuck on victory, you know, or, or, or we're going to move on, you know? So it was, I guess the power of numbers things was, was kind of, uh, a driving force to it as well. Well, that, that's cool. So uh, after you guys signed Island, uh, you released your next record, which was War All the Time in 2003. Uh, I remember that coming out, and there were videos on MTV, and, and, I mean, there was some radio play. Like, that seemed like it did really well. How was that for you guys? It was awesome, man. I mean, we, we loved the record. It was a really – the record was a bitch to make. You know, it was it – was, a lot of fun. We did a lot of a lot of pre-production for it, as far as just like writing and practicing and trying to come into the studio as a really well-oiled machine. Did you guys work work with Fridman on that, David Fridman? No, we didn't. We worked with uh, our our buddy uh, Tim Gillis, a big blue meanie, and then Sal Villanueva uh, okay. produced it. Um, but yeah, it was crazy, man. It was a good time. I, I just remember recording that record. We we did. I had three. We have three different drum kits for it, and we did it all to a click track for the first time. How 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 was that for you? I mean, I liked it. I I, I enjoy using the click track. Um, a lot. Most of the Thursday records are made without. You know, it's mostly free time. But this one, we just decided to try it, and uh, it was crazy because I had to do three perfect takes on three different kits so i ended up doing nine takes nine perfect you know when i say perfect i mean as perfect as i as humanly possible for me <laughs> you know what i mean at my at whatever my skill level was at the time um so it was it was a you know i just remember like being you know coming out of that recording process as like the fucking incredible hulk you know what i mean like <laughs> it was like a workout um but yeah dude that that time was crazy it was it, there was a lot of pressure for us too to to make that record and and have it to have it follow up full collapse was you know it was kind of daunting but you know we kind of tried our best to write the record that we would have written anyway without the success or with the success when you guys put war all the time out uh you know it reached number seven on the billboard charts was there a time around signing to Island or when that came out to where you thought, wow, man, this could be like a career, like, you know, we could really make a go at this? I think we all did. Uh, things were happening super quick. And, you know, obviously with the success of Full Collapse, it was, you know, we were kind of in a, in a territory that we weren't really sure about. So when things started going well with War All the Time, we're like, man, it's just things are going too smoothly. Something, something bad has to happen at some point, you know, yeah. like. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a wild ride, man. It was a lot of fun. And, you know, we, we, we definitely gave everything to those records and and to that time, you know, it was definitely a wild ride and seeing it, seeing it, you know, be number seven on the, on the charts was just insane. (laughs) Yeah. That's crazy, man. So what was, what was the next record? Uh, was there another record on the major? 
Yes, the next record was called A City by the Light Divided. Okay, yeah, I've got it right here. I forgot where it was at. <laughs> and that was a super weird time for us because everybody on islands, you know, our, our whole team basically moved to Warner, Warner okay. Brothers. So, and then L.A. Reid came in and was now the new president of Island. And so none of none of our team, who we originally signed with, except for our A&R guy, were, 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 were at Island anymore. So basically, the new Island Def Jam had no idea who we were or what we were or what to do with us. So how, how did that kind of, after that record, did that record, I mean, it, I know it did fairly well, but would it... Did it just feel kind of like things were kind of falling apart at that point because there was nobody there? I mean, I, I've heard horror stories about whole teams leaving labels before. You know, the Ataris dealt with that a lot at Columbia. So, like, what was the next step after that? I mean, was there an easy way to get get out of that contract, or what did you guys have to do to do that? It was insane, man, because we, like, so they, they kind of left right when the record came out, and, you know, the record did good, it did well enough, I guess you could say. That was kind of around the time where music was music sales were changing and yeah and and all that stuff started to go like way downhill and people weren't really selling records anymore but tickets sold like a hundred fifty thousand copies at the time and uh so in our our minds we were like oh it's you know that's a great. success yeah. man yeah yeah everything that. was everything was going great but they were like they just didn't know what to do with us and yeah. we were kind of like we're just out in no man's land you know with this record that we loved um and that was the first one that we had done with Dave Fridman, and we were super pumped on it. Um, He's a great guy, man. I, I played uh, in a band called Brazil. They were on Fearless Records, and uh, they did a record with Fridman. He's a, he's a great dude. Oh, he's he's fantastic, man! Like total genius, total awesome, awesome dude. And Tarbox Studios, yeah. right? Tarbox. Tarbox Studios, yeah, in Fredonia, New York. It's so awesome. How, how, how was the how was the process with Dave? I mean, can you can you kind of give me a, a an inside look into that? Yeah, dude, it, it's Dave works in, in two week increments. So you go there for two weeks and then you're off for two weeks. You know, you kind of go home and do whatever and then you go back for two weeks and then you're off for two weeks. So it's kind of an interesting way to, you know, to do it. Um, but it's like basically a cabin in the woods and you're you're just you're kind of stuck there in, in, in a good way, you know, because all you're focusing on is 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 music and recording. And, you know, it's he's awesome, dude. He's just yeah, he's his own engineer. You know, there's no nobody else in the studio helping him out. It's it's just him. You know, he's doing everything. It's 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 really great. That's you know, cool. He's full of knowledge, and he's you know, he's got great friends who became friends of ours, and his family's awesome. So you know, we'd go over his house for dinner and stuff like that. It was wow. just a really good time. Yeah. It's great when you can meet people like that because the music business could be kind of a cold place, but you meet people like that and it makes it, it makes it all, oh, this is why we're doing this, you know? Completely, man. It's, 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 you meet one of your, one of your idols and they turn out to be awesome. It's just like, it makes it, like you said, totally worthwhile. Well, that's awesome. So, uh, what I have in my notes, I'm going to ask you a question about that. So you guys did that. That was your last four Island, correct? That was our last one for Ireland, and they basically said, like, you have till Christmas to decide whether you want to leave or stay. We hope you stay, um, but we understand if you want to go, and, and we kind of just, like, talked you know, within our band, and we decided, like, let's let's move on. Let's move on from here. We, you know, we don't, they don't know what to do with us. It seems like they don't really want to say, hey we don't know what to do with you. So you let like, just, just get on out of here, kick rocks. 
So we just decided to be like, you know what, we're 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 gonna take the uh, get out of jail free card. So you guys ended up uh, in 2008 signing to Epitaph. Uh, how did that come about? I don't really remember how it came about. I just I, I know we just we're all fans of all the Epitaph bands and Epitaph music, and just the label itself just seemed like a really cool place to be. And you know, we were looking at a bunch of indies at the time, and Epitaph just had always stood out to us. And you know, just a bunch of rad people and super rad label, and you know, it just felt like a good home for us. Did they? I mean, they were super supportive. Like right away, was it nice to kind of be back in that? Even though, I mean, it is Epitaph; they're the king of the indies. It's still that indie vibe. I mean, is that what kind of came across when you guys signed? Yeah, I mean, it's like it's one of those things where it's it's you know, you make a record and they're like, hey, if if the record's good, it's it's going to do good. If it's not, it's not going to do well. You know, it's it's it basically just a vehicle for the record getting to people's ears. Well, that's great. So there was really. You know, what can you do with a band that already has a following? You know, yeah, it's it's kind of kind of just just put the record out. You know, yeah, because I mean, with that built-in following, I mean, they know that there's going to be a certain amount of probably at least first or second week sales anyway. So it almost yeah. makes their job a little bit easier, I would think. Yeah, completely. So um, you guys put out two records on Epitaph, is that correct? Uh, I believe so. Yeah, uh, we did. Common existence. Common existence. Uh, yeah. no, and no devolution. Yeah. Okay. And, um, okay. So those, and I'm sure like they did well for, for Epitaph and for you guys, uh, was there a lot of touring in that time period? Uh, yeah, we, we always toured a bunch, you know, we always, we, you know, we tried to do around seven months out of the year, seven to eight months. There was definitely a few years we did about nine months, which was insane. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we, we always looked at, looked at, you know, records and cds as like a the flyer for the show you know what i mean so what i i read something on the internet and once again this can be true or could be false uh, you guys did the taste of chaos tour in 2009 is that correct yes and i i read some kind of mixed reviews some things that maybe jeff said in the press or whatever like how were you guys received on that tour uh it's funny man it's i feel like Nothing against Taste of Chaos. I think it's a great tour with, you know, it you know, brings a lot of great bands out. And a, a good place for for fans to go see a show of, you know, a bunch of bands. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but I feel for us, it was around a time where, where, you know, we were on tour with Pierce the Veil and Bring Me the Horizon. And I believe it was Four Years Strong, I think, was the, the bill. Uh, all great dudes, all, you know, and, you know, but I feel like, you know, Pierce the Veil had not had not gotten huge yet. Um, they were kind of just uh, kind of starting out, I guess you could say, um, touring. And Bring Me the Horizon was definitely on their way w- way up. And I feel like a lot of our fans just didn't want to come see our band at Taste of Chaos. Yeah, I, I get that. You know, and then like so, a lot of we would, you know, Bring Me the Horizon. The room would be pretty full. Then bring me the horizon would play. They'd be done. All of their fans would leave, and the room would be half full for us. So was that kind of a hard tour to get through? Like, did that happen like almost every night, or? It was. I remember, like, you know how bands get riders and whatnot. I remember the riders getting cut, you know, basically to just a you know a case of water for each band and stuff like that. So it was definitely definitely hard. It was definitely depressing for us to be, you know 
because we never we never half-assed it you know we never phoned it in you know we, we can't with our music it's it's 110 percent or nothing at all you know and it's, it's got to feel kind of weird too to know that if you were on like the same tour routing but it was your headliner it would be completely different totally i mean just totally the fact that maybe you know your headlining taste of chaos and that sounds all well and good but then just to know that if you were by yourself with a couple of opening bands that you picked it would be like a completely different show and you'd be having a blast absolutely man it was just it's just weird you know and it's it's i mean i'm i'm guilty of it you go see a band that you want to see and then sometimes you know i i would leave you know before before some some other you know like the headlining band you know if i wanted to go see a you know a band that i was really into and they weren't the headliner you know it's it just it happens it's it's a natural thing you know at least it's not like back in the '80s where they would like just turn their backs to you and flip you off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That there's that's a whole other you know ball of wax. But I mean, it it was fun. We had fun playing our songs. We always have fun playing our songs. But it definitely was depressing, and I I definitely feel like it. You never want your fans to feel bad for you. Yeah, yeah. you know what I mean. Like, like you're like, oh man, they were great, but God, it was just so depressing. Everybody <laughs> left, and you know, yeah. it's kind of like a sad scene. It's like. Oh, man like i don't want anybody feeling bad for me you know <laughs> yeah i got you so uh after those those records came out you guys were touring you did taste of chaos and all that other stuff i'm sure you did you did warp tour around that time as well correct yeah i th- we did warp tour 2002 2004 uh i believe 2006 and 2008 okay okay did you did you enjoy warp tour i mean i know that i i think in 2004 I was actually playing with uh, Brazil. I think that's when I was talking to you when you guys were on the Warp Tour in 2004. Yeah. But um, how did you how did you take that tour? Did you like it? I mean, I liked it. I, I like the I like the the camaraderie. You know, meeting meeting bands that I, you know you wouldn't that we would normally meet on a regular touring basis. The poker you know I mean? games like, and the barbecues are always fun. Yeah, and it was a, a good way to like you know network and become friends with people that you you know you don't you wouldn't be able to see every day so that that part of it was cool and you know we got treated really well we had a bunch of friends on the tour and you know it's just it's a hard tour man it's it's two months and as you know it's 98 points (laughs) you know million degrees and it's hard to shower and it's a 30 minute set is really really difficult it is really difficult yeah you know when you when you, you you're basically away from your friends and family and and devoting your life to your craft for 30 minutes it's it's tough that's what people i don't think i don't think they understand like they just think tour is a big fun time and i mean that's this this show is called that one time on tour but you know we we talk about how great it is to live your dream or sometimes it's your worst nightmare i mean i mean touring can be kind of that dichotomy that's both sides and especially on warp tour i mean i love warp tour i i've done warp tour like over i don't even know how many days but i've played almost every stage on warp tour in different bands and i it was a big part of my touring career and as much as i love it i I kind of hate it a little bit too just because of you know it's not just you just play for a half hour a day and then you've got to fill the other hours of the day up with something totally yeah yeah and yeah you're, you're normally in a parking lot where it's 100 degrees with 100 percent humidity if you're in like florida totally yeah it's kind of inescapable you know what i mean or like in a in a in a, in a you know a black paved parking lot in arizona where the sun is just reflecting directly off the concrete right into your face you know i I just i used to just like i couldn't wait till we hit the west coast because the weather was normally pretty good 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like how many more days till we get to Pomona, or how many more days exactly. till we get to Ventura? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's at least some body of water nearby. Yeah, something you know, <laughs> a little breeze or something. We we always liked Warp Tour. I mean, it, it's it's definitely a tough tour, and like I said, thirty minutes is is you know it's too short. I feel, yeah. but we we've been on it a few times where it's like you you the lottery like fans used to be able to vote for which band got an extra 15 minutes i remember that to play and there was a year that we won it almost like 90 percent of the time so that felt pretty good that's great man you know so that that was always like a all right you know like the kids kids still like us yeah, yeah. totally okay so you guys uh you, you decide to go on hiatus or break up in 2011 i know the details on you know the internet are a little bit you know sketchy around that um did you guys ever think you were going to get going again, or was that kind of the end of it in most of your eyes? I mean, definitely it went both ways in a way. You know, I definitely saw it as like, a, man, I can't believe this is over. And I definitely saw the other side where it's like, well, one of these days when we when we do it again, you know what I mean? So there, it was definitely the end in 2011, but we knew that, we always remained friends. There was no, there was no bad blood between any of us or anything like that. So it was just the, the type of thing where unfortunately, you know, you, you're away so much and you're, you're working so much and you're basically just making enough money to barely live. Yeah. But you, but you can't come home and get a job because you, there's no time to get a job because you're on the road so much. So it basically was just not weighing out. That was one thing, you know, like with, I was kind of lucky enough that uh, my the bass player, Brian, from the Ataris and I, we started a recording studio at my house and, and we had a lot of stuff booked up. So when we were home, we actually had an income and I was also teaching guitar on the side. But to go get a straight job and not know if you have to leave in two months or in a month, I mean, it's, just, it's a hard position to be in because you said it's meager sometimes. Even if you're a big band, you're not making a lot from touring, but you're making enough to survive. And then when you come home, there's no money. Yeah. The amount of billable hours is, 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 is very little yeah. when you're in a bed, you know what I mean? It's like, totally, man. you're working 24 hours a day, you know, but you know, it's, you're not getting paid. <laughs> you're not getting paid for, for those 24 hours. hours you know? <laughs> okay. So one thing I wanted to ask you about too, cause I, I find this kind of fascinating actually is that, so you guys broke up in 2011 and you didn't really kind of just drift away. You kept, you kept busy. Like you, you did some other stuff. You ended up playing with the wanted, which is kind of like a boy band, correct? Yeah. Not kind of like, absolutely. <laughs> a boy band. Well, they, they have that, what's that big song? They have that, that big single that I'm glad you came. I think it's glad you bit. came. Yep. Yeah. I actually watched you on Letterman that I was doing a little bit of research and I'm like, man, why can't they just cut over to Tucker a little bit more? I want to see him. I don't want to see these pretty boys. I want to see Tucker. Not that you're not pretty. I mean, you're, you're... Oh, come on. <laughs> so how did that all come about? And like, like, like how was that? That looks really cool. Actually. It was super cool, man. And it was, it was wild. You know, it's after the band broke up, I kind of hit up my, my, uh, one of the dudes that worked at Island who I became close with. His name is Eric Wong, who, I think he, I think he runs Warner Music now or something like that or Universal maybe it is, uh, but I was like, hey dude, I was like, I'm Thursday's breaking up and I don't want to stop playing music. I was like, so if you have any, any you know bands or artists or anything that that need like a drummer for studio or recording or showcases anything, just please you know 
keep me in the loop if you you know you need a musician you know a drummer for that i would love to do it that's what i want to do and like he called me a week later and he's like hey he's like and i was playing i had just done a bunch of the demos for this band pure love okay it was frank frank carter and yeah, I know uh, frank. I know jimmy frank. carroll good dudes yeah. um but i did a bunch of their demos and i was also playing in murphy's law at that time which is i did a tour with who... murphy's law back in 2004 those guys are crazy oh yeah they're nuts they're <laughs> the best but yeah that's it's a wild crowd for sure yeah they're, they're um, great guys i did a tour with them in canada and they were just it was uh I was playing in a band called The Reason, and we had uh, it was like Pennywise and Murphy's Law and Bigwig when us. It was the craziest tour ever. Oh man, Jimmy is an unstoppable force. Oh that's, yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> you know, if you go to his Instagram page, his it, it just says entertainer, and it's totally, totally that. That's that's his header. He's an entertainer for sure. Yeah. But uh, so I was playing in Murphy's Law at the time, doing stuff with Pure Love, and he called me back, uh, Eric Wong, the guy who. Um, who was our? I guess he was our product manager back back on Island. He's like, hey, I have this 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 band called The Wanted, and we're gonna do a showcase. Um, would you be down? And I was like, yeah, sure, man. Like that sounds cool. And with a name like The Wanted, I I was thinking, you know, punk band. <laughs> I'm playing in Murphy's Law. Yeah, totally. It's a punk band. This, you know, The Wanted sounds like a punk band. So I'm like, yeah, sure. He's like, oh, he's like, I need you to, you know, to find a they need a bass player and a guitar player. Do you know anyone? I was like, yeah, I've, I've got, I've got my, my buddy, Brian, who played in from on to ashes. And my, my buddy, Eric, uh, he plays bass. He plays bass in primitive weapons and, you know, just a bunch of other bands. So I was like, yeah, I, I'll, I can get on the phone with them and see if they want to do it. He's like, yeah, dude, he's, he's like, it's going to be awesome. We're going to do a showcase. You have four days of rehearsal, you know, this was like on a Monday. He's like Thursday, we're with you know Thursday we start rehearsals. There's four days of rehearsal, and then there's a the, you're doing a show at Gramercy, and I was okay. like, okay, cool. So I get off the phone with him, and I'm about to call the other two dudes to see if they want to do it. And I'm like, shit, I, I didn't ask what the music was, so I <laughs> called him back, and I was like, what what kind of what kind of band is this? What kind of music? I'm assuming it's like punk. He's like, no, it's a it's a boy band. <laughs> and I was like, like like in sync. He's like, yes. <laughs> Just exactly like, and, like that, and they're British. Okay. <laughs> like, okay, so a British boy band. Um, so I called. I called my buddy Brian first, and he was like, "Yeah, dude, I'm totally down. That sounds awesome. Like pop music. Let's fucking do it." And then I called my buddy Eric, and he's like, "Uh, no." He's like, "I'm not playing in a boy band." <laughs> and I was like, "Well, check it out. Here's the day rate, and here's what it is." He's like, "All right, I'm in." <laughs> of course. I mean, so, I'm sure that it's a it's a big change from the world that you know you and I come from to playing in something like that. Totally, man. But, at the, you know, at the end of the day, it's music, you know what I mean? It's a yeah, challenge. It's a challenge to step outside your comfort zone. And, you know, it's it was definitely a good time. And it's definitely a learning experience. And it's it's we played like almost every major TV show that, that you could play, except for Saturday Night Live, which I wish we played Saturday Night Live. But <laughs> yeah. it's, it's one of those things where it's like precision. You have to you have to play the songs as surgically perfectly as possible were you playing with a, with a click live playing with a click and tracks click so and tracks okay yeah so there was there was everything was mapped out so you know i hit i hit the the music director hit play and the song started and finished the same way every single time and you have to basically do the same exact stuff every single time because you're playing these these dudes are singing and they actually sang too which was which was awesome like they were actually singing that's great um but 
you know, it's got to be the same show for them every single time. You're, when you're a hired musician, your job is to play the music. Yeah. You know, and and to and the artist. Did that ever get tedious for you? That it was kind of like so, like almost sterile every night for what you know the band was actually doing. No, because the the, the band and crew liked that we were like more rock, you know, and it yeah. was it was almost like. Like, what can we get away with? Like, at, at one point, our, our our front of house guy uh, was like, dude, your kick drum, like, I don't know how I'm getting away with it sounding like Vinnie Paul from Pantera's <laughs> kick drum. It's like, and it sounds awesome. That's great. But it was like those kind of things that were like, you know, like, just, we were getting better as players just because it's such a different, you know, a, a different, you know, venue, if you will, you know. Did you get to know the, the guys in the, like, in the group fairly well? Oh yeah, we were all super tight. You know, the the band crew and the and so we were the band. We were called the kids, and then we had the crew. They were called the achievers, and then we had the boys who were the singers. You okay. know, so it was, we were all super tight. Did you do a lot of international stuff with them? Yeah, we we basically went everywhere. Um, we did like Brazil. We did South America. Um, you know, the UK obviously we did Ireland. Um. Yeah, we went we went all over the place with them. Did you do anything in Asia? Because I know that that kind of music is kind of huge over there. We did. I believe we did. Um, we we did like Malaysia, Singapore. Um, I don't remember if we did Japan or not. Um. Yeah, I don't, it's all blending into one at this point. <laughs> So, well, that seems like a really cool experience, man. Like, did that, is that still something that may happen in the future or is that kind of over? Um, for them, I'm not sure. You know, it's, it's, it's weird when you're, when you're, you know, hired musician, you really have no idea of the inner workings of the artist, if you will. You know what I mean? It's kind of like you get the call when you get the call. So I don't know what's in store for them, but you know, I, I would always be down to do a pop gig or, or anything, you know? Cause it's just fun and it's challenging and you know, it, it, it's a real, like people are really freaked out when they see someone they know that, you know, plays in a hardcore band, you know, playing, you know, in a, in a boy band. It's, it's, I, I know it was a, it was kind of, it was kind of jarring for me because I've been friends with you on Facebook for quite a while. And I remember when you were posting some stuff from, uh, from playing with those guys, and I'm like, wow, he's playing in that thing now. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I thought, I mean, I'm positive about it. I thought it was great, but I know some people might have a negative connotation, but those people are small minded. So Dude, it's so funny, man. Like I just, people that people did have a negative thing coming to it, but I would always invite people out to the show. Like I just remember being in like San Francisco and calling up Adam from AFI being like, yo, you want to come to this really super weird show? <laughs> And he'd be like, hell yeah. And like, so all, all over the country, I'd have all my, you know, you know, all the, you know, the, the punk rockers and whatnot. I remember Tim from Rise Against hit me up one day and he was like, dude, you're playing Chicago. He's like, is there any way you can get my kids in? <laughs> me and my kids. So I was like, you know, Tim and his family came and, you know, he brought me like a super awesome Rise Against like varsity jacket. That's awesome. But it's just, it's funny because, you know, especially like, punk rock dads with kids you know they're yeah. like oh dude yeah you play in that band like and a lot of a lot of people also are like oh dude you play in one direction i'm like no <laughs> that's kind of like the bigger version of the wanted yeah, yeah. but close enough <laughs> close enough man yeah okay well i tell you what man uh you guys are now back together as thursday correct yeah 
Now, is there, I mean, maybe I just missed this. Is there a new record or is there one in the works? Are you guys still on Epitaph or are you unsigned? Like what, what's going on right now? Well, we're unsigned and we basically, we have no plan. You know what I mean? We're just kind of, this is the 20 year anniversary of, of being in a band um, with, with my brothers. You know what I mean? It's, so it's, we're kind of just playing these shows and, and enjoying the ride. You know, it's, it's nice to be a band and 20 years later have people still want to come to the shows and, you know, playing these two records all the time and, and full collapse back to back is we thought a nice way to, to, to ring in the 20th year. So were there some songs on, on those records that maybe you hadn't played live very much that was kind of a challenge to get down? Oh yeah, man. It's, there's a lot that we haven't played a bunch on this record. So it's, it's definitely a learning experience, you know, when we go to rehearsals and we're like, shoot, how do we even... You have to relearn how to play the song? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's basically like, there's there's a few tunes that I think we played like maybe like four or five times. Okay. And one of, one of those times was <laughs> basically to record it, you know, so... <laughs> yeah. That's definitely a challenge. So you guys, uh, you guys have been doing a lot of touring here as of late? We've basically been doing weekends, Okay, you know, like we do basically about a weekend a month, give or take. Um, we just did, we did LA for, for, uh, four days. We did one, uh, we did a Friday, two shows on a fr- uh, Thursday night, two shows on a Friday night, two shows on a Saturday night. And then we did, uh, two shows on a Sunday. So it was, you know, pretty packed schedule, but, um, I think we go to Chicago at the end of June. Yeah. So you guys have like three dates in a row there. Yeah, yeah. So there, there's stuff coming up, but it's it's definitely like not tours, nothing like that. So, I mean, the future, what does the future hold? I mean, do you think you guys will do another record or is this just kind of you guys can kind of do whatever you want now because you've got the fan base and there's no pressure? I mean, I kind of like that. But I mean, what can you tell the listeners? Like, it, will there be another Thursday record eventually? I'm not sure. You know what I mean? We We haven't gotten there yet. We haven't even really talked about it. So. You know, like I said, we're kind of just enjoying this right now. And I have I have a couple other bands that I'm doing in the meantime. So it's, you know, there's no shortage of music coming from some of the members. It just might not be Thursday. Okay. Well, uh, I'm going to try something new on this episode. I've actually have some questions from Instagram from some of the followers of the show. Um, so Billy underscore J3AM wants to know, how did playing with Yellow Card, uh, My Chemical Romance, and The Wanted help you grow as a musician? Oh, man. Like, first of all, doing that stuff is so much fun, like filling in for other bands and playing for other bands. But definitely, like, with My, Chem- my Chemical Romance, that was in 2007. That was my first time, you know, running a computer um, with with a whole show to like a click track that was tempo mapped. Wow. So that was definitely a learning experience. And, you know, their songs were just so fantastic that it was just a a lot of fun to play. And, you know, especially, you know, they were the headliners, you know, and you're, you're playing drums in the headlining band and it's like an arena and there's fire. (laughs) So that, that was crazy. And then yellow card was, was a lot of fun too. Those dudes are good dudes. And, you know, they were kind of at the end, you know, they had broken up and gotten back together so it was it was easily relatable for me to be like, oh yeah, yeah, you know when Thursday broke up, blah blah blah, you know all this stuff. So, and I, it's funny, I got that gig through my buddy Arun, who plays guitar and saves the day. He was like, hey dude, he's like, you're, he's like, is the Wanted still doing stuff? And I'm like, no, they they broke up. He's like, well, Yellow Card's looking for a drummer. Are you, are you down? And it was literally like just at the end of the Wanted. Like, <laughs> I think there was like two months of downtime for me. 
before I started up Yellow Card. That's great. Um, but yeah, man, any anytime you're you're playing somebody else's music or or you know whether it be drums, guitar, bass, you know you name it. Like when you're playing something that you didn't write, you de- you're definitely learning something. You're definitely learning, you know, because a lot of these bands want it to be exactly the same as as their you know their old drummer, their old guitar player. You know, it's, it's you pretty much have to fill in seamlessly. Um. So yeah, it's it's always a learning experience and it always teaches you like okay yeah like this is what it's like to be on a team you know like yeah to to, to play the song as it's intended and to be to be musical because you have to play the song for the song you're not trying to stick out you're not trying to play the coolest fill or you know you're you're keeping time you're driving the train you're doing your job that's great man okay so uh rye dunn from instagram said that he was at your last show in perth australia at soundwave and he would like to know what does it feel like to play soundwave uh soundwave was insane man it was a good time it's a really run uh, well-run festival uh australia is an amazing place um yeah you get to travel around with a lot of great bands and it's a lot of friends from the states too which is which is uh, you know which is great um but yeah really run, well-run festival it was a lot of fun to be on um and the shows were awesome did you guys do any of the of the side shows on soundwave like in the smaller, smaller markets? We did. We did them with uh, Circa and Saves the Day. Okay. Which was a lot of fun, you know. Pretty close with all those guys, so. Well, I've got one last question from Instagram. It's not really a question. It's more of a statement. Uh, it's from our mutual friend, Eddie Reyes. Reyes Uh-oh, from Eddie. Taking Back Sunday. <laughs> Eddie says, tell him that I love and miss his handsomeness. Well, right back at him. You can't deny those dimples on that little fella. <laughs> yeah, Eddie was a past guest. Uh, we had a really lot, good time talking about everything, and he uh, he left this little comment on the picture I posted on Instagram, so he just wanted to know that he misses you and he loves your What a guy. <laughs> hey, back at him. <laughs> well, hey, Tucker, I just want to tell you, man, this has been a really, really fun time. I hope it's been fun for you. I've had a blast talking, man. Absolutely, man. I really appreciate you asking me to do this, and, and you know, thanks for I really has been a great time so i appreciate it well hey man i'll tell you what uh, i don't want to take up any more of your time i would like to well a little bit more of your time i want to ask you one last question um, yeah no problem what are you listening to now like what's kind of what's on your radar as far as new bands or just things you've found that maybe you didn't listen to in the past like what's what's on your spotify list right now well uh, to be honest with you what i've been listening to lately is toto <laughs> okay <laughs> Like like, on, like Africa Toto like yeah oh yeah Africa okay. Toto for sure uh, I've been on a I've been on a Toto kick but I recently just did uh, one of my other bands called Aegis we just finished a record so I've been listening to a lot of those mixes and masters lately so I haven't really been listening to a lot of new music except for my own stuff approving mixes and masters and all that shit well, yeah that's that's cool man yeah <laughs> so not a big like mumble rap fan I mean you know it's 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 <laughs> You know what? I, I actually, I have been listening to uh, a lot of the Mark Juliana Jazz Quartet. Okay, cool. If there's any 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 you know jazz fans out there, or, or just drum fans in general, I'm sure they all know about Mark Juliana and the Jazz Quartet. The new record, New Jersey, is just killer. Cool, man. Well, all of our all of my listeners need to go check that out, right? <laughs> Well, hey, Tucker, man, thank you so much. I've had a blast. And uh, when that new record comes out, if you want to come on and talk about it a little bit, I'd love to have you back. Absolutely, brother. Pleasure talking to you, man. I hope I hope I hope to see you soon. Yeah, definitely, man. Uh, if you guys are ever around, you know, the Midwest, uh, I'll I'll try to make it out. 
Absolutely, man. That'd be rad. Cool, man. Well, I will talk to you soon. Have a great uh, Memorial Day weekend. You too, man. Take care. Bye. Bye. And there it was, my conversation with Tucker Rule from the band Thursday. I had a really good time talking to Tucker, and uh, hopefully we'll have him back in the future for a part two, because I always say that, and eventually I'm going to get everybody to come back for a part two. So thank you once again for listening to that one time on tour. It's a lot of fun. I really enjoy doing it, and I couldn't do it without you guys listening out there and sending me all the feedback, the ideas for guests, and all kinds of stuff. So next week is going to be a little bit weird. I'm moving into a new house. And uh, I'm going to be very, very busy. So I'm going to attempt to get another episode up next week, but I don't know what's going to happen. So this one might be it for a week or so, and then I'll have another one come out after that. Uh, I've got some great sponsors coming up. If you're interested, hit me up, tototpodcast at gmail.com. And that's about it. So thanks again for checking all of these episodes out. We've got nine episodes now. So go back. There's nine of them. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. So go back and check out a previous guest. And please check out our sponsors. They're wonderful and they help us out so much. They keep the lights on and it's wonderful. So without further ado, I'm going to play a song by the band Thursday, Tucker's band. And this song is what got it going for me. It's kind of what got it going for their whole thing, too. It's called Understanding in a Car Crash. It was their first single on Full Collapse that came out on Victory Records. They did a video for it. I remember seeing it on MTV all the time. So here it is, Understanding in a Car Crash by Thursday. I'll see you guys next week. Yeah.
This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday.